Good morning. It's a good morning. It was like above zero. That's a great morning, right? Hey, we are continuing our series of messages. You guys aren't with me on that, are you? Like, oh, I can tell. We are continuing our series of messages uh, out of the book of Exodus. Last week, we, were, we began like what we, what we call the third movement. It's chapter 25 to 40, and I gave us a, a big overview of that and talked about how in this third movement, the majority of it is actually detailed verbal blueprints for a tabernacle. That, and the whole point of that is that God's dwelling with us, that God is setting aside a people for himself. He's entering into covenant relationship with, him, uh, with them. He's actually, they're moving in together, kind of. It's like a double-wide trailer, the tabernacle. That's my joke that I stole from the Bible Project guys. I thought it was really funny. And there's like four of you that smiled. That's awesome. And um, I'm counting that as a win. That's my, my wind bar is pretty low, so I'm counting that as a win today. And... Uh, and, and so it's, it's like God, God is moving in with his people. His presence is going to be with them. They're, they're going to bear his name. They're going to represent him to all the nations. That's what that whole thing is about. Today what I want to do is I want to look at a couple of those passages out of that third movement in more detail. So if you have a Bible, we're going to begin looking at uh, Exodus 25. Uh, I'm going to read verses 1 to 9. Exodus 25, 1 to 9. Because here's the deal. I think God is inviting you and I into the same kind of thing. He's inviting us into a partnership with him where we make room for his presence and we bear his name in our community. You see, just like Israel, we're meant to bear the name of God by becoming a holy, set-apart people. Peter talks about this. By becoming a kingdom of priests a holy set-apart people among all the other people in the Twin Ports so that everyone can see the character and the image of God, God in our midst. And what's cool is the tabernacle isn't just a place, but uh, throughout the New Testament we discover the tabernacle is actually the people of God everywhere they are, everywhere they go. And so I want to talk about what that means and kind of how we live that out in some practical ways. So Exodus 25, uh, starting in verse 1, let me pray. Before I read this, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are so thankful for your life, for your love, for your mercy, for your beauty. And Lord, I think like we really do want to reflect you, and we often get in the way of doing that. And so God, I ask that you would speak to us today. Speak to every single one of us. Would you put the vision of who you are in the life you've called us to right in front of us? Would you captivate our hearts and our minds with what you're doing and the way you ask us to participate with you? And we just say thank you, Lord. Would you come right now? In Christ's name I pray. Amen. All right, Exodus 25, starting in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses... Tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. Moses is up on Mount Sinai with God. He's passed through a wall of fire. He's up in the clouds. Tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You're to receive the offering for me from everyone whose heart prompts them to give. <clears throat> and these are the offerings you're to receive from them. Gold, silver, bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and fine linen, goat hair, Ram skins dyed red and, other, and another type of durable leather. 
uh, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones and other gems to be mounted in the ephod and breastpiece. And then have them make a sanctuary for me, that I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like I will show you. This is, this is a great little, I, there's so much hidden in here that I absolutely love these passages. Yahweh is inviting everyone, all the Israelites to participate. But look at verse 2. They get to choose their level of involvement. He's inviting everyone to participate, but they get to choose how involved they are. Tell the Israelites to bring me an offering, receive an offering from me, from everyone whose heart prompts them to give. You know, the thing that's astonishing to me, kind of about that little phrase right there, is that the God who created all of us honors our agency to participate or not. He honors it. He, like, he created us as human beings who can make decisions, and then he honors those decisions. That's astounding to me. Because have you ever made a bad decision and think a little, a little further down the road, like, man, I wish I hadn't done that. I was being a total bloop, you know. Like, God, why didn't you just stop me? I, this is like hints to something about the nature and character of God in the way that he invites us to follow him. He invites us to participate in what he's doing. And then he gives us the freedom to or not to. Remembering God's entering into a covenant relationship with them, with us. And relationships, healthy relationships, have a give and take. They're shared expectations, shared commitments. We're not enslaved, and yet we do get to choose whom we serve. Remember Bob Dylan's song? So good. You got to serve somebody. You will serve somebody. You don't have a choice. You get to choose who that is. And the invitation to serve him, to participate with him, is for our benefit. We talked about this last week. We're better off when we actually do it the way that he has designed life to work. And so let me make just this really practical for us as a church. We have a choice in this church community how to participate. How much to participate? Or just to watch from the sidelines. It's your choice how much relationship you want. It's not like going to the Vikings game later today. You don't have a choice. You don't get to play. They got people, they got uniforms, they got pads. No matter how much you think you're better than them, you're not. They would trounce any of us like that, right? I mean, those guys are like, But here, you got a choice. We have actually, as a, as a staff, as a, as a leadership team, we have a commitment that we make to never try to hype something up to get you involved in something that you don't want to be involved in. We're never going to manipulate you. We're never going to like, I don't know, like we're, if we raise enough money, speaking of offerings, if we raise enough money, then I'll shave my beard. That's never going to happen. It ain't coming off. It's been on there since about 1980. It's a permanent fixture. Every once in a while, somebody will say, I don't know if I really like beards. I'm like, so? Nobody asked, right? Over the years, people have said, Michael, at the Vineyard, you guys give so many opportunities to participate. I wish you didn't give so many opportunities. I'm like, why is that? They say, well, I feel guilty for not doing it. I go, well, I'm sorry you feel guilty. I'm not going to stop giving opportunities. 
I'm never going to stop inviting us to begin or continue or learn to love our neighbors as ourselves. We're never going to stop inviting us to grow as followers of Jesus. I'm never going to stop inviting you to get in a small group if you're not in a small group because it's one of the most healthy things I've ever done in my life. Consistent uh, relationship with other people in a small group where we're looking at the scriptures and we're studying the Bible together. And so we're just never going to stop doing that. Think, Think of this community... It's a place where you can actually be transformed as you follow Jesus, develop uh, opportunities for loving and serving your neighbor and for really growing in your transformation of following Jesus. Now, let me say this really clearly. Some of us are involved in organizations outside the vineyard. Way to go! That's awesome! I love that. When we present opportunities here to get involved, we're not saying all the other opportunities are bad. I think, actually, we need as a church to be involved in every organization we could possibly be involved in in the greater Twin Ports because we bring the power and presence of the resurrected Christ with us everywhere we go, and we should go everywhere with the power and presence of Christ. Think of this church community as a family that supports and encourages and empowers and helps to sustain us along the way. And here's the deal. Don't get over-involved. Like, don't get so involved because you're trying to somehow make something right in yourself that only Jesus can make right. Don't get so involved that you burn yourself out. Don't do that. Like, it's really good to say no periodically. I say no quite a bit. Michael, stop offering so many opportunities. No, I'm not going to do that. Right? In fact, one of the things that we're trying to do, we're beginning to do, is we're beginning to try to build a list. We've never done this, and I think it was just a a silly thing somehow that we've never done it. We're trying to build a list of all the places that we serve in the community outside of of the vineyard. Because we know kind of who serves here. We're trying to build a list of all the places that we, the Vineyard Church, serve outside the community so that we can celebrate that together but that also we can train, equip, and support one another in all the ways he's called us to be the hands and the feet of Jesus outside of this. And so there's a little, uh, there's a little QR code in the chair in front of you. And that will take you to a connect form. And if you want to tell us like where you're serving, we will cheer you on. And then we're going to begin to, probably quarterly or every trimester, three or four times a year, gather together groups of people that are serving outside the community so that we can have relationship and encourage one another and challenge one another. I think serving is really, really good. It's one of the ways that we actually begin to grow. So everyone got invited to participate. And then skip to the end of this section. We're going to skip over to Exodus 36. So look look for Exodus 36, and let's look at how it turned out. Like, how did the offering turn out? So Exodus 36, starting in verse 3, they received from Moses all the offerings. So this is the artists and the builders and the craftspeople. They received from Moses all the offerings the Israelites had brought to carry out the work of constructing the sanctuary. And the people continued to bring free will offerings morning after morning. So all the skilled workers who were doing all the work on the sanctuary left what they were doing and said to Moses, The people are bringing more than enough for doing the work the Lord has commanded to be done. So then Moses gave the order and sent this word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more because what they had uh, already had was more than enough to do the work. I think that might be the only time in church history 
that the leader said, stop, that's enough. We have all what we need. <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's hilarious. I read that and I just giggle. Like, man, that'd be a cool problem to have. I've never had that problem. I don't know any pastor who's ever had that problem, right? You have no idea how many times that we've prayed that we could have that problem. Think about it for a second. What is it that impacts our generosity? What actually would cause them to be that generous in that moment? What is it that impacts the generosity of the followers of Jesus? I'm going to show you some things in the New Testament, but to give you like a, a, here's what's coming, I think it's our personal experience with the love, the grace, the mercy, the beauty of God. The Israelites, remember, had been in Egypt for 400 years. During the end of that time, slavery had gotten quite intense, and the brutality of the slavery had increased uh, over and over again. The mistreatment that they experienced was pretty intense. Remember, after Moses was born, like all the, all the baby boys were like systematically slaughtered. They were killed. Their generosity is a direct result of experiencing the amazing rescue of God. His mercy his grace, his love, his beauty. It reminds me of a story in the New Testament, Luke chapter 7. The story is a little long to put on the screen. You can flip over to it if you want, or you can just listen to it. True story, Jesus at someone's house for dinner. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. The way that you would recline at those tables is the table's in the center, your feet are behind you, and you're leaning in at the table. A woman in that town who had lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. That was most likely something that her family had passed down to her as kind of an inheritance, incredibly valuable. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is. She's a sinner. Jesus answered him. Like, I didn't say it out loud. Jesus answered him. He said, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay back, so he forgave the debts of both. Simon, which one do you think would love him more? Simon replied, well, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. And then Simon turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house and you did not give me any water for my feet, which was customary, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, which is customary, a welcome, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, which was customary, but she has poured perfume on my feet. There, therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus turns to her and says, your sins are forgiven. 
the other guests begin to say to themselves, who is this? Did he forgive sins? And Jesus says, woman, your, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Whew. The story kind of speaks for itself, doesn't it? It doesn't need me to say much after it. In fact, I would probably clog up the arteries of our minds by saying too much. That kind of expression of love, that, that pouring out of love, that pouring out of gratitude, that gratitude that leads to a generosity that is wasteful and extravagant comes from an experience of the grace and the mercy and the love and the beauty of God. A personal experience. We see it not only in her story, we see that when the early church was started, this was kind of a normal thing for the early church. I love reading about in the book of Acts how when God gave birth to the church, generosity erupted. In fact, it turns out generosity is a telltale sign of the presence of God in a church. Look at this from Acts chapter 2. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold possessions and gave to anyone who had need. They experienced the rescue of the resurrected Christ and they shared freely. A few weeks later, still there, Acts chapter 4. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that anything was their own. They shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone who had need. One of the things that happened when the church was birthed is it happened during the Feast of Pentecost. It was one of the pilgrimage festivals in Jerusalem where people, Jewish people from all over the world at that point would come as a pilgrimage. As they were becoming followers of Jesus, they weren't necessarily returning back to their homes yet. The church was growing and growing and growing. You had all these people from out of town, immigrants as it were, from out of town that were a part of this whole thing and they needed support. They all didn't have jobs. They figured out ways in the early church to love and support one another. And then we see that generosity spread throughout the Roman Empire. Paul writes a letter to the Corinthian church. Chapters 8 and 9, he's addressing all sorts of problems throughout the whole letter, but chapters 8 and 9, he reminds them of an offering that he's taking for the Christians in Macedonia, uh, uh, I'm sorry, that he's taking uh, for the Christians in Jerusalem because of a famine, and he's going to tell them about the church in Macedonia and the way that they've supported. And he says, and now, brothers and sisters, 2 Corinthians 8, I want you to know about the grace, there it is, the grace that God's given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a really severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up into rich generosity. Anybody here an accountant? How do you add up, how do you get rich generosity from severe trial, overflowing joy, and extreme poverty? Those things don't add up to generosity in my book. But they do. He says, For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in their service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave of themselves, here's the equation, first to the Lord, 
And then by the will of God, they gave themselves to us too. So how does this apply? Let's apply this to Duluth Vineyard. Listen, my job as a pastor isn't to try to talk you into serving. It's to provide opportunities. My job as a pastor is not try to coerce you into giving. Not at all. Our job is to help you experience the love and the grace and the mercy and the beauty of God in such a way that your imagination and your desires are captivated. I'm working to see the vision of the life that God invites us into become so beautiful in your eyes that you arrange all of life to participate in what he's doing. That's what I'm doing up here every single week and the way that we lead worship and the way that we teach. And then through the leadership of the Holy Spirit, you become the kind of person who in covenant relationship with God, you're able to bear God's name to the rest of the world right alongside the rest of us. And we're all doing it together. That's the church. That's the way that all this works in the church. I love verse two, from everyone whose heart prompts them to give. Here's a question. This is a good question. This is going to hurt. It's a good question. It's like a good workout. What is it in your heart, in like the center of your being, that is blocking generosity? It's a great prayer. Some people complain they don't ever get to hear God, you know, voice when they pray. Here's a great prayer. I find that God answers it to me all the time when I ask this question. God, what is it in my life that's blocking the generosity that you want to flow out of my life? What is it? And just sit quietly. And when something comes to mind, don't make my mistake. Don't argue with God. Don't start debating him. He's way better at it than you. And the way you find out it's true, the way you find out he pointed out something that's true, is try acting on it. Just try it. That's what Jesus promised, John 14. If you want to know the truth that sets you free, the sentence right before that is you have to put it into practice. That's how you know it. God, what is the thing in me that blocks the generosity of you? What is that thing? For some of us, it's the fear we're going to run out, that we're not going to have enough, that there's not going to be enough for me. And when you hear that fear what I've learned to do is go, oh, so what you're saying, Michael, is you can't trust God. That if he invites you into something, you have to be the one that provides for all your needs. He's never going to be there to do that. That's what you have to do. Is that right, Michael? Is that what you think? I have conversations like that with myself all the time. When I'm walking down the street, it's really awkward. If you see me doing that, don't interrupt me. I'm having an argument with me. Whether or not what God says is really true. Anybody else ever experienced any of that? There's something in your heart and you realize, oh, that's keeping me from the generosity of God. Listen, if we go to God individually, corporately, if there's prayer time up here in a minute, we're going to pray for you. If you do that, God will highlight some of those things that we can support and encourage one another to be generous with our time, with our service, yes, with our money. And here's what's really cool. God's already provided everything that they need. Where did they get the gold and the silver and the, all the fancy leathers and all that kind of stuff, the expensive colored fabric? Where did they get all that? 
They got silver and bronze and purple, scarlet yarn and blue and, 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 and fine linen and goat hair and ramskins dyed red. And I love this. Uh, the NIV calls it another type of durable leather. Another type of durable leather. The, the Hebrew word is takash. And actually, nobody knows what it means. Translations, tra- people translate all different ways. Depending on your translation, it might read badger skin. Way to go, Wisconsin. Goat skin, hides of sea cows. These are all translations from different English Bibles. Manatee skins, narwhal, porpoise skins. Nobody really knows what kind of leather that is. But here's one thing I'm pretty sure that I'm pretty sure the tabernacle was dolphin free, just like your tuna. I don't think it was dolphin, right? So people have just translated it different kinds of ways. Do you, know where, you remember where they got all that stuff? Do you remember where it came from? It's the Egyptians. Just, just reflect back here for just a second. Exodus chapter 3. Moses is on Mount Sinai. He's at the burning bush long before any of this takes place. And this is what God says to him at the burning bush. I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed toward this people so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. God's telling him this is what's going to happen. He goes, you're going to plunder the Egyptians. And then right before the last plague, God reminds them of this. Right before the death of the firstborn, Yahweh gives them this reminder. Exodus 11, the Lord said to Moses, I'll bring one more plague on Pharaoh in Egypt. He will let you go from here. And when he does, he will drive you out completely. Tell the people that men and women alike are to ask their neighbors for articles of silver and gold because the Lord made them favorably disposed toward the people. They just went to all their neighbors, hey, we're getting ready to leave. Can I have all your valuables? And the Egyptians go, sure, just get out of here. I'll give you whatever you want. I mean, that's what happened, right? And then immediately after the death of the firstborn, after that plague, the Israelites did as Moses instructed, Exodus chapter 12, and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver, gold, and clothing. The Lord made them favorably disposed toward the people, and they gave them what they asked for, and so they plundered the Egyptians. Look at the way that God knew exactly what he was going to ask for them from the offering the way that he promised to Moses long before they got there that this is how they were going to get it. And then he reminded them of it, and then he told them to do it, and then they did it, and God provided. I love that story. That's amazing. They were being generous with the Egyptian stuff that they just carried throughout the wilderness for like a whole bunch of time, three or four months. I can imagine some people... Um, I can imagine some husbands, let me just get really specific, really complaining. Why are we bringing all of this gold and silver and narwhal porpoise skins with us? <laughs> like, we're going on a camping trip. Why do we need all this stuff? And I can just picture other people just going, you know, it's, I don't know. Moses said to get it. We're getting it. Let's pack it up. I love the way I have to pack all this stuff up, right? They've got all the, God provided all the raw materials. God also provides the detailed plan. He's showing Moses exactly what to do with it all, what the tabernacle is supposed to look like, how it's meant to be used. Remember, like uh, at, at one point, Moses is like partway up the mountain and he's looking through, I described it last week, as a snow globe. He's looking and he actually sees these detailed verbal blueprints that God's giving him. He's providing the detailed blueprints. He provides the raw materials. They're not to just make it on their own. They're not just wandering around the wilderness trying to make something up. I love the way that the Holy Spirit has done that in the church community for generations, for decades, for centuries. 
I love the way the Holy Spirit actually speaks to the body of Christ and speaks to leaders in the church and says, here's what it's supposed to look like. Do it this way. I don't know what to say. That was, I, I don't know what to say after that. <laughs> I just love the way God does that. It's like really, really good. And the way that you know it's God is you begin to do that, and at the end of this thing, God's presence fills the whole thing, and you're like, yeah, that really was the Lord. Oftentimes, as leaders, as folks, we're kind of wandering around. We're, we kind of feel like maybe we're lost in the woods, but God's whispering. He's sharing. He's doing stuff. And you, you might not realize it, but he always does it in the context of community and relationship in some really healthy ways. It always involves the community of God's people. God's not showing Moses just stuff for him. And there's no way Moses can collect and do all the stuff that he's doing. We don't follow God independently. We're part of community. We bounce those things off of each other. When we encounter difficulties, as every church does, we want to have a healthy structure and healthy relationships that allow us to like navigate those things well. And I, we, we have and we will. And I don't know if you know this, the Vineyard is part of a much larger community, the Association of Vineyard USA, about 550 churches around the U.S. with a great leadership structure. We're part of about 3,000 churches in about 100 other countries around the world that are all interconnected in our leaders. One of the reasons that we have a leadership structure here and a small group structure is so that we can discern God's voice and we can hear him and we can go together in stuff. And we are constantly bouncing ideas off of each other and letting each other know some of the things that we're thinking and feeling and asking the question, is this the Lord? Is this the way we should go? And so the raw materials were given to them, the community was given to them, uh, the plans were given to them, and then God gave skilled craftspeople to put it all together. But by the way, this is one of my favorite passages. I was going to say my favorite passage in the whole Bible, but then I remembered three others, so it's my top three, but then I remembered three or four others, so it's in my top ten. But it really is like way up there, one of my favorite passages in the scripture. Look at Exodus 31, verse 1, the last passage I'll read. Exodus 31, 1. I want you to see this, so if you have a Bible, pull it out. It's good. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen... Bezalel, son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. Moses is up on the Mount Sinai. I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom and understanding, with knowledge for all kinds of skills, to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, to engage in all kinds of crafts. Moreover, I have appointed Oliab, the son of somebody from the tribe of Dan, to help him. Also, I've given the ability to all the skilled workers to make everything I've commanded you. And then he lists all those things out. And he says, I've set apart Aaron and all the priests for this. And so they are to make this stuff just the same way I commanded you. I love the way in this passage, and he goes through it over and over again, God has specifically chosen and gifted specific people with specific abilities for all kinds of different kinds of work. Artists, craftsmen, builders, priests, he's given the skills of creativity, uh, ability, knowledge, craftsmanship. God is highlighting to Moses the specific people who have the abilities to do the work. I can, I can just picture somebody thinking, Oh, I remember that dude back in Egypt. He's the guy that never made the brick square. Like, I don't think that these artists and craftspeople woke up on the side of Mount Sinai and just woke up one day and go, oh, oh, I have skills I didn't know I had. 
That's not the way God works with any of the humans that I've ever seen. God puts desires and longings and and hope and dreams within us for something that doesn't exist yet. And sometimes it can feel incredibly frustrated when you're part of a community, you're part of something, and you can dream something, you see something, you feel like you have some skills and abilities to accomplish something, it doesn't exist yet, and you're thinking, why don't they do that? I'll tell you why they don't do that, because you haven't put your hands to it yet, because you're they. When people come to me and say, Michael, I got this great idea, I think the church should be doing this thing. I always respond by going, that's a great idea. Go for it. And then somebody responds back, no, 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 no. The church should be doing it. I go, I know, I know. Go for it. No, 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 you don't understand. And I go, I think I'm starting to understand. I think the church should be doing this thing, this ministry, this thing. And I go, I think you're absolutely right. Who's the church? We are. Nancy, boo, you've been around here a long time. She knew immediately. I used to do that every week back in the day. Who's the church? Yeah, so who should be doing the stuff? Yeah, and everybody goes like this, uh, them. <laughs> Isn't that right? We're the ones who are doing it. Every, almost pretty much every ministry you see functioning at Duluth Vineyard started because somebody had this idea, this dream. They came and said, what do you think about this? And 99.999% of the time, my response is, that's a great idea. Why don't you start it? Why don't you just start doing a little bit? No, I think it should be this big thing. Well, it may grow into that, but let's start a little bit. And then as you start it, God begins to like challenge your character. He begins to challenge your teachability. He begins to challenge your ability to work with other people. He begins to challenge your ability to see things from them and put those things into the mix, not just the way that you thought it should be. And you grow as a human, you grow as a leader, you grow as somebody who's living out the purpose and presence of God. And then the church is doing something that it wasn't doing before. The whole thing that we have going on with addressing period poverty, is that the, is that, am I using the right language for that? The whole thing that we have going on came because, some, came because a, a, a woman in our church said, this is like a need, and I'm like, it is? I'm not a woman. I've never had a period. I know, it surprises you. And I didn't know anything about this, and sent me a couple videos, a couple things to read. One of the videos just broke my heart. I'm like, oh my gosh. And we began to look at that and and move that direction. There's a thing now where we are serving women throughout the Twin Ports with products, feminine hygiene products, that they couldn't afford that maybe was keeping them from work or school or something else. That's amazing. Isn't that cool? Good job. Way to be the church. That's what we're meant to do. And that's the kind of generosity that's coming out of us. And then my last big point, God's inviting them to build a tabernacle that is gratuitously beautiful. When you read through the description of this thing, it looks unnecessarily beautiful. Come on, man, they're using tons of valuable resources that could have been used for like almost anything else. In the middle of the wilderness, they're doing this wilderness camping trip. And God does something extravagantly beautiful that they're building, just like the creation that he put us in. Have you guys looked at those new telescope images that are out there? It's like, is that amazing? The cosmos that God put us in? Whether I'm looking at a pine cone or whether I'm looking at some nebulae out there floating in space somewhere, it's like he's put us in this amazing, beautiful world. One of the things that beauty does 
is it actually draws us closer to God. Beauty draws us closer to God. God's not just the source of beauty. Here's a little quote from a guy named Mikado Fujimura, a, a, a contemporary painter who's actually a follower of Jesus and just a brilliant, brilliant man, wrote a book called Art Plus Faith. Here's this quote. God's not just the source of beauty. He is beauty. When I was first reading about Jesus in the Gospels as a 17-year-old, uh, I, I had to think about that for a minute. Was I 17? Yes, I was 17. The thing that captivated me was I'd never seen such a beautiful life. His logic, the way he argued with the Pharisees, dude, it just makes me giggle every time I read it. Like, dude, got him. That's awesome. And then he turns and points towards my heart, and it's like, dude, got me. That's beautiful. Do you know what I mean? The way he lived, his sacrificial love, the death on the cross, the resurrection, the whole way that the whole story of the scripture is woven through with that incredible beauty. It's like, I love it. It captivates us. The presence of beauty directs our attention towards God. And it doesn't matter who made the beauty or whether they even think God exists. Just even the possibility of things being beautiful is because of who God is. So one of the books I'm currently reading is called Art Plus Faith by Mikado Fujimura. Um, we are, I'm doing a slow read this year. I think we're on chapter four of, of like 12 chapters or something like that. We're just doing one chapter a month and then we're having an online discussion. You're welcome to join it. There's several people from different parts of the country that are part of that little book club that have found out about it. Uh, you guys are all welcome to join it. Just uh, use that little QR code, go to the connect form, tell me where you're serving somewhere in the Twin Ports and say, I want to join that silly little book club that Michael's doing that's really slow. It's really good. And then don't forget, the purpose of all this is worship. The tabernacle was the embodiment of the presence of God in their midst. And by building this, by obeying God, by making this beautiful thing, they're effectively welcoming the presence of God into our midst. We're invited to participate with God in some incredibly cool things. What allows us to be generous and all in is an experience of his grace and mercy, his beauty, his love. That, ex that allows us to be all in. And then we can like, walk that direction together and we can be a church that actually bears the name of God in the Twin Ports in a way that people look at and go, man, I don't know what's going on there, but it's not normal. I want to find out more about that. Jesus said, everyone will know that you're my followers by the way you actually love one another. That's bearing the name of God well. Okay, that's what I got. Why don't you guys stand up? I feel like I did not do justice to one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture, but you go read it. Holy Spirit will speak to you. It'll be really cool, and it'll become one of your favorite passages too. So Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we welcome your presence here. We welcome your grace, your love. We welcome your generosity towards us your forgiveness, we welcome you. We say, Lord, would you come right now? Would you come? Friend, the ministry team, can you make your way up here? We want to pray for one another. Lord, I ask that you would point out to us things in us that are actually acting as a as a dam to the generosity that you want to flow through us. 
We have blockages in our lives to that generosity. We touch it from time to time, but I think we're actually meant to be gratuitously generous, trusting you, trusting you. Generous to our families, generous to our children, to our parents. We're meant to be generous to our neighbors, to our friends, to our coworkers. We're meant to be generous in the ways that we serve and use our skills to actually make the whole community better, not just whining about somebody else not making it better. It's a sacrificial generosity Jesus showed us, but it's a sacrificial generosity that God empowers with resurrection power. And God, I want to be a person, I want to be a man. I want us to be a church, a community that models that generosity is empowered by you. And so anything that's a blockage to that, anything that's damming that up, Lord, would you just come highlight it and would you give us courage right now to come receive some prayer? So as God's highlighting something, and we all have them, come up and get some prayer right now. Come up and get some prayer. And then there's some of us that fit into the category of the artists that were there, uh, that God highlighted, the craftspeople. You're noticing things that, that the community is not doing that actually really do reflect God. And maybe you've thought, well, I can't do anything about that because I'm too young or I'm the wrong gender or I'm like whatever it happens to be. I can't address that. I don't have the resources. I'm afraid. Would you just come get some prayer? You don't even have to say what the thing is unless you want to. But come get some prayer that God would give you his empowering courage to actually begin to step out and make a difference, to begin to do something with that. I just remember the story of a woman quite a few years back who we were doing something like this and she was on her way home. She saw somebody who was homeless, went home, made enough meal for her family and for this person, got back in the car and, and drove that meal back to that person and was kind of so excited at just doing something really simple, got back home. <laughs> her well-meaning husband said, what are you doing like, why do you just like gravitate towards the losers? And he used the phrase, you're a loser magnet. And she goes, maybe I am. Maybe I am, just like Jesus. Like, God's drawing our heart towards some things. What would it be like if we just obeyed him? And what if we weren't afraid of the consequences of that, no matter what was said to us? Holy Spirit, come. Give us your courage. We want to receive from you grace and mercy, peace. For some of us, we need to be generous with ourselves. We're not, we're not allowing the love of God in. We can think of a hundred reasons why we don't deserve it and we haven't gotten to that point yet in our lives to be good enough to receive that. That is all just bullpucky. Allow the Holy Spirit to come love you. It's not ever been based about how good you are. It's based about how loving and gracious and merciful God is. All right, these guys are going to lead us in worship. Make your way up here. Get some prayer today. 
And Lord, would you make us the kind of community that is so outrageously generous that people know that they know that they know that you're in our midst. Holy Spirit, come. All right, come get some prayer. These guys will lead us in worship. God bless you. Thanks for coming to the vineyard today.